0: Welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I'm one of your hosts, Matthew Robinson, and this week I am quite pleased to be joined by my oldest friend in the podcast, my closest friend, the casual gamer, Jake Shapiro. Welcome, Jake.
1: Thank you so much for having me, my good friend. How you doing out there about uh, Game Brainers?
0: Um, they can't answer me, Jake do I have to explain to you how podcasts work again this is a one way street here buddy (laughs) Jake and I um, we actually got to hang out in person this week which was fantastic
1: it was surreal uh, and wonderful
0: we we planned a 24 hour getaway to Joshua Tree which in addition to a fantastic U2 record is a location uh, east of Los Angeles about a two and a half hour drive Jake and I, and our other best friend who is not on this podcast, uh, Oliver, we all got tested, made sure we were healthy, and the three of us went to a house and just played board games and hung out. Ollie kind of, well, Ollie likes board games. We'll get into that. He doesn't like all the board games. He was great. He was great. But it was kind of the first time, well, it's definitely the first time I've seen Jake and Ollie, you know, like outside of just like in my backyard for five minutes saying hi or, or whatnot on, on Skype. But it was, it was nice to to have some one-on-one and well, two-on-one. Well, that sounds weird. Some, some time (laughs) together with friends. You know what I mean? It was excellent and it was much needed.
1: And, uh, it really made the world feel normal for just one day, just
0: one day. It was very special, but we also had a chance to play the game that we're going to be reviewing today the 2020 worker placement deck building hybrid called lost ruins of arnak jake and i got to play it in person not on tabletop simulator which was fantastic and we'll get into that and the topic I, i asked jake i said jake what should we talk about this week on the podcast and then he hit me with a topic That was so on the just spot on perfect the perfect topic for this time and one I'm excited to talk about. We're going to talk about the etiquette of losing, Mm
1: -hmm. which and fair play uh, in general,
0: and fair play in general, which uh, has no sort of real world applications that I can think of in the moment, (laughs) but (laughs) is a fantastic topic at all. And I love, I love talking about the psychology of winning and losing as it pertains to the different members of our group and et cetera, and, and our children, it's going to be fantastic. Um, well, I caught up with you. I got to spend 24 hours with you, but the listeners of our podcast haven't heard from you in a few months. How, uh, catch us up. How's life going, Jake?
1: Life's going well. My little family unit is chugging along through this nightmare. Pretty good. I think, um, my son, Logan, uh, had his birthday since last I was on the cast. He's now six. And um, Happy birthday, Logan. Thank you, thank you. Yes, it was a very weird COVID birthday where we, instead of having a party, which you cannot do, obviously, we sort of planned a couple of play dates with a little social distancing mixed in along the way throughout the day so that he got to see certain friends and make it feel like it wasn't just stuck at home watching a movie. Right. So that was fun, and... uh you know, my wife continues to go into the office some days a week, and of course, she's very careful there, and life progresses. We're doing our best. You know, the whole the whole Zoom school thing is a huge part of our world with Logan, and other than that, much of the rest of my world has shrunk. Like, I don't really see friends the way I used to, and I don't have my game night the way I used to, and you know, I'm, I'm focusing really just mostly on home, which I think many people are doing, and there's nothing... There's nothing wrong with it in fact when I try and reframe this entire scenario and see the positive this time with my family at home it's time I would never have had so it's it's a bit That's of a gift true. and I, I try to I try to maintain that perspective as, as long as I can as best I can.
0: Absolutely. And we're heading into the holiday season. Obviously, it's going to be different. But are you guys doing anything special? Or how are you celebrating Thanksgiving? Yeah, this
1: we are going to do a we're going to my mother in law's house and she has a big backyard and we're going to do a social distance thing. We're going to set up a bunch of tables and all the family units, you know, my, uh, my sister in law and her kids, uh, my my kids, cousins, we're all going to sort of have our own little sections and we'll do the best to sort of simulate. You know, I'm obviously we can't do the part where you're like all in the kitchen cooking up a storm, but I can't say that was ever really my favorite anyway.
0: But also means you don't have to help cleaning, which is fantastic. Yeah,
1: but it's going to be what it's going to be. And I think we'll all just come at it the best we can and try and make it fun for the kids, you know, and uh, bite a stuffing and call it a day. What about you? Are you doing anything special with yours?
0: Just having my mom over and then uh, who is a part of our our pod, and then our mm-hmm. rachel 's best friends Kim and ben, who uh, well I not lucky for guys. them, but but lucky for us they 've had covid they have regular antibody mm-hmm. tests, they still have antibodies, so they 're as safe as can be they 're the only safe people that we know in terms of sure. well there 's no risk having them over and uh, so yeah, they're That's coming great. over for Thanksgiving. That's it. Yeah.
1: Be chill. That's great. I think a lot of us throughout, you know, the country we're all just trying to do our best to give to give it some kind of meaning, you know, say what we're thankful for and then just check
0: that box. Yeah. But also just go, who cares? It's not that important. Let's not kill people.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, Thanksgiving. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't want to like poo-poo it because I know a lot of people love it. But for me personally, it always just seemed kind of like a trumped up holiday, really. Hey, No, uh, no pun intended up. there, but like, <laughs> it's really, let's, you know, it's a meal and it's not even my favorite meal. So whatever it's going to be, it'll be fine.
0: I am bah humbug to my core when, when it comes to any holiday. I, I don't care. I don't like holidays. I I think I don't, you know what I don't enjoy? Forced
1: yeah, where you're expected. The expectation of making it great, yeah,
0: forced memory making. This day shall be special. That's right. I've always that pressure has always bummed me out. I always don't like it. I, I I instantly get like emo goth rebel against it and i'm just like bah, humbug you can't make me smile i'm i'm very fun at parties which is what i'm trying to say no you're, you're, the, you're the life of the party
1: <laughs> i i'm honestly i'm just thankful for my kid because that's the only reason to even attempt at making it anything cool
0: totally like if it yeah. weren't for
1: him i'd be like let's just order chinese and watch a movie i don't couldn't care less
0: you know, and that has melted my ice-cold heart a bit, having children. Yeah. I, I definitely yeah. enjoy the holidays through through Strider and Joni, uh, and and it's it does add a totally different tinge to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. You're listening to Turkey Talk, a new Thanksgiving podcast. <laughs> what do you say we talk about what we're here for, which is board games? I think games. that's a good idea. Let's get into the game night. Well, we didn't get Essen this year, the uh, largest board gaming convention in Europe and worldwide that we always wait for every year when the big games come out. But the big games have started rolling into my office where I uh, keep my board games because I've been ordering Like a Maniac from Philip Burtonet and other places. And slowly, the games that uh, would have premiered at Essen 2020 this year are making their way into my life. And some of them are even making their way onto digital media, uh, tabletop simulator, et cetera, et cetera, so that we can start playing. And some of them I have played in person with Jake this week. Um, I've been playing quite a few games. I, uh, I've i been playing a game called uh, Praga Caput Regni, which is a new game from Vladimir Suchi, who's one of my favorite designers. Uh, you would know his work from um, Underwater Cities and Shipyard and Pulsar 2049. Uh, and um, I have only played Praga solo because there is no way to play it online yet. Nobody's, nobody's made a mod for that one yet, but um, it's really fun solo. It's a lot simpler than I think any of his other games Um, And I'm really looking forward to being able to play that with other people. That's sort of been the highlight of my gaming, other than Anno 1800, which I believe we talked about last time that I'm a little bit obsessed with. Um, That is online. I have been able to play that, and you can expect a review of that coming pretty soon. Um, Beyond the Sun, another big release this season that I finally was able to play. One of the developers at Rio Grande Games helped us uh, get an online game of that, Ben Mandelker and I. And hopefully we can get more games of that and get a review to you of that, because that is a very interesting tech tree game. Um, Let's talk about the games Jake and I played together. We, of course, played Lost Ruins of Arnak, which we're going to be reviewing today. But that wasn't the hit of the trip. What was the hit game of the trip, Jake?
1: Oh, see, being the casual gamer... Um, I'm not going to remember the title. What was it? <laughs> sorry, <laughs> the sorry everybody out there in the world, it was fantastic. And I want to be playing it. I've thought like 10 times since that day that like, I wish I were playing that right now,
0: but the what game was it was called? called I don't know. The crew, the quest for planet right. nine, the crew, it, it was super tell, fun. You guys explain what the crew is. Well, it's a co-op game. And, um, I think it's up to
1: four, but it was just the three of us, you, me and all. And, Essentially, you are, it's kind of like a trick taking game in a way. And each mission, each level, let's say, has different requirements uh, and, and different tricks you have to take. And it has different order to the tricks and different ways that you have to take them. Certain cards you can use, certain cards you can't use, certain things you have to do before you do other things. But essentially, the three of you uh, get a hand of cards and you have to work together without communicating what your cards are, because that would be cheating, to basically take the tricks in order to complete the mission. And each mission has a little overlay of like, oh, you're downloading something or you're, you know, saving a guy. But essentially it's it's a little bit of a, a, a mathing game where the three of you sort of have to figure it out without really saying what you've got, but at the same time communicating. There is one way you can communicate, which I'm sure Matt will be able to describe better, but um, it, was, it was so much fun.
0: Yeah, so that was a great explanation of it. By the way, that this is a a co-op trick taking game with fifty missions in the game. Yeah, uh, it comes. How the did campaign. we get? Did we get up into the teens. We got up to nineteen, Jake. Nineteen. Yeah. We, you yeah. know, we got almost halfway through the whole campaign. It was
1: great. They get more and more complex as you go along, and they start building on themselves. So that like the first couple of missions will teach you a, a few kinds of ways to take tricks, and then they start compounding them, and they get mm-hmm. way more tricky.
0: Exactly. And like any co-op game, the the only way to really constrict you is by constricting your communication. And so they give you one way you can communicate, which is actually interesting and and quite gamey, I thought. Um, You can take a card out of your hand, place it on the table and put a token on it. And that token must be in one of three positions. If you put it at the Mm -hmm. top of the card, it means... This card is the highest card you have in a suit. There's four suits in the game. They're just four right. different colors and 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 all the numbers range from 1 to 9 in four suits. So right. uh then uh, if, the, if, the, if you put the token on the bottom, it means this is the lowest card I have in the suit. And if you put the token in the middle, that means this is the only card I have in the suit. And you can only do that once per mission. So it's you can take one card.
1: Because the combination of those three ways of communicating spread out between three players, you can really get very specific with what you want to do.
0: And and one of the rules, which is which reads like an edge case when you first read it, but then you realize is actually a really fun strategic part of the game, is that you actually can't put the token on a card unless it is one of those three criteria. Your highest, your lowest, or your only. Yeah. So if it's your second highest, but you somehow really need to communicate that for whatever the mission is, you can't. So part of your game then becomes like, well, I need to get certain cards out of my hand so I can get That's this information right. out because exactly somebody... Right if somebody leads with this suit and I only have the highest one and we need someone else to win that trick, then we're going to die. So you're, there's this tension of like, Oh, I have to get these cards out of my hand so I can give information so that we don't lose. But I also have to make sure that I'm not accidentally losing. And uh, yeah, order
1: of operation is, is crucial to the whole thing, how it unfolds and what steps you take in the right order uh, is, is the whole, the whole game. Because if you make one misstep and you're stuck with a card that kills you at the end, it doesn't matter how well you played if you didn't if you didn't do it in the right order, you're screwed. Yeah.
0: I'd say we we played for like 6 or 7 hours out of our 20 hour trip. It was very trip. enjoyable. Yeah, it was very yeah. enjoyable. It's and it's it's a light Can game I where play? you Yeah. Oh,
1: sorry to cut you off. I was just going to oh, throw no. props to Ollie because like he doesn't consider himself a game brain, but like he is. I'm sorry. He is. He was seeing stuff from
0: the deal and yeah. and calling it out
1: before we'd even played any of the cards he was calling it one after another it was pretty impressive
0: he was very good at it he's he's a big card player gambler like he so i think this like hit right but instantly like you know you you sort of see the deal at the beginning and you lay out sort of what the mission is and he was always very like instantly seeing it and like beautiful mind brain style just being like okay this is going to be quite difficult and then there's a couple times where he goes because of the deal i'm t- i'm saying right now this is impossible and he was right every time he said it he that. was dead on he really was um, he was dead on yeah, every time. And, and and it was very was, fun. Uh, it was really fun and we all and it was one of those games where you can play while you're laughing and joking and um jake uh had a really hard time with a couple of the missions which was you really know, funny. Was funny he just kept making the same mistake and we I were just making the same be me. simple
1: mistakes and it wasn't like even thinking mistakes it was like playing mistakes like i would deck a card off to the left knowing that i needed to use it for some specific reason right. and then a trick would come around and i just throw it without thinking yeah it, anyway it was hilarious
0: the game does make time. you, th- it is, it is one of those games that makes your brain sort of do acrobats that it's not, never really done before because you, you have like, you have the pink nine in your hand, but, and you have to make sure that Ollie wins a trick with the pink nine, but Ollie has the pink eight and he needs to make sure I win a trick with the pink And then it's like, yeah. you just, your your brain just starts smoking it at a certain point complex. to try to figure yeah. out. Yeah. Um, it fun. But I, yeah.
1: I highly recommend it. I know that's not what we're reviewing, but uh, that that's one that not only would I love to play again, but I I would think any game brainer would love it.
0: And it's, I mean, it's under twenty bucks. I mean, it's like you get a lot it's of quick. a lot of bang for your it's buck. Quick.
1: Yeah, I mean, you yeah. can you can sit down and play for ten fifteen minutes and really enjoy it, or you can do it like we did and spend hours at a time.
0: Absolutely, and you know, I want to do a little mini review on that with you because we, we had such a good time, mm-hmm. and, and it was uh, it was a game that I'd, I had like been that. wanting to play for a while, and I'm really glad I brought that. So that was definitely the highlight of the trip. Um, yeah, let's get into the news.
1: Good evening, Mr. Mr. South American. All of sea. Let's go to press. News.
0: Good amount of news this week. Let's get right into it. Uh, Carnegie is a board game that I am quite excited about. Uh, it comes from the designer Xavier George, uh, the author of Carson City and Ginkopolis, and uh, one of the other uh, designers of Black Angel and Toi. Um, I'm a big fan of Xavier George. Um, the artwork is by Ian O'Toole. This looks like classic fare from the two of them. It looks gorgeous and heavy. Um, and it is coming to Kickstarter on November 25th. And um, I guarantee I will be there backing it instantly without knowing much about the game. But if you combine Xavier George and Ian O'Toole um, and tell me it's a heavy uh, Euro game, I'm there. So I very say, exciting. I
1: love the fact that you know these designers and these artists can amass and maintain such an amazing street cred and rep that their fans will just show up when they come out with something new. I, I think that's brilliant. I, I love seeing that in film, but... I, I love seeing it anywhere and it's, it's it's really, it's really amazing.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, there, there are definitely designers that at this point now, like if, if, if I know that they are designing a game, I have a pretty good idea what it's going to feel like, you know, I mean, some more than others, like I, I know exactly what an Uber Rosenberg game is going to feel right. like for the most part. Right, right. Um, Xavier's definitely had some different stuff going on, you know? So, um, he, you know, he's a little more, uh, it's a little more of like hmm i'm definitely interested to see where, where he's going with it but but yeah for sure like much like an author or uh, a designer or i mean or a director you know at a certain point if i've loved two or three of your games i'm just going to keep buying your games unless you you know start putting out a couple yeah, I that i really that. don't like in a row i love
1: that that really appeals to me just that whole notion appeals to me across the board but also in games specifically it's it's really cool
0: yeah, no, it is a it's a great time to be in our hobby. Um so yeah, November 25th on Kickstarter look for it there. Um the uh th- th- there's we're going to actually cover a good amount of sort of casual games today, which which was not on purpose, but there's a lot of casual game news happening right now. I have a potential good family game recommendation for all of you for the holidays coming up if you are safely celebrating with your family and looking for a fun game. Rise of Augustus was a game that I enjoyed it as a casual game. It's basically bingo. It's bingo. Okay. It's just bingo. Right. But bingo with some rules. It's somebody who's, who said, ah, people like these Euro board games. What is, what is the Euro version of bingo? Um, and basically, it's like you have these different objectives you're trying to fulfill. Um, And somebody's pulling chits from a bag and they pull a chit and you, everybody at the table gets to spend that chit on one thing. But you're basically just ticking boxes like a bingo thing, except, you know, you're and, you know, it's like I need three wheat and one stone, and I boy, I really hope he pulls a stone so I can complete this contract. And but when you complete them, they give you powers. So now every time someone pulls a stone, it's worth two stone for you. You know, the most simple version of it, things mm-hmm. like that. So as the game goes on, you're getting more powerful. And when people are pulling the bingo chits, it's you know, making these cool combos for you. Um, but they have put somebody has put out an even simpler version. Of rise of augustus it is actually a re-implementation of it just with a little fewer fewer rules and a new sort of fantasy theme the game is called via magica m-a-g-i-c-a uh it is coming out it is out now uh the designer is paulo mori uh who did a game that i quite like called ethnos he also did libertalia he's a, a fantastic designer um but this is uh, a re implementation of Rise Augustus with a little bit less rules, a much smaller box. That was a big old box Rise of Augustus was in before. This is travel size, a small little box. It's basically Euro bingo with fantasy theme. Um, and I felt it, it was worth shouting on our podcast because this is that time of year when people need good games. That I mean, you could literally, pr- I, I think you could play this with a six year old. You could play this with. And a 90 year old, you know, I mean, this is a game that if if, if, look, if, if you can play bingo, you can handle this. Um, right. And it's, it even has a few less rules than rise of Augusta. So it's even more just like, boom, you can teach this to anybody. And who doesn't like bingo? I don't know. Maybe somebody does. I have nothing bad to I, say about bingo. Look, man, it's a, it's a good way to spend time. Uh, also, in the casual side of the world, the ninth edition of WizWar War has been uh, announced. This one from Steve Jackson Games. Fantasy Flight Games had the license to it for a while. I guess Steve Jackson has taken it back. Um, Eric Martin from BGG tells us that Steve Jackson Games hasn't yet revealed how this edition will differ from others. Uh, instead, noting that it plans to run a Kickstarter to fund this release, and that it's doing all the tooling with the manufacturer beforehand to ensure smoother fulfillment. All the usual case uh, complications for such things. Um, so, yeah, we don't know much other than we know we're going to get a new edition of Wiz War, which is called Wiz War Kill Them with Fire. Uh, Wiz- <laughs> um, I look, I enjoy Wiz War. It is, you know, just chaos in a box, um, originally from the designers of, uh, of Dune and Cosmic Encounter, I believe. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's a classic. Uh, Chaos Bomb. Um, so, yeah, new edition of that coming out. Always worth checking out Whiz War if you like a good Chaos Bomb. Um, a new Rainier Knizia game uh, is being reprinted. Well, an old game is being reprinted. Um, Gamelin Games is reprinting the 2002 Knizia game called Dragonland, which also looks to be more on the lighter side of Knizia's uh, uh, spectrum. Um, also worth looking into if you are a fan of lighter games or fantasy themes or Reiner Knizia. Um that is uh coming sometime uh next year. We don't have too much information on it yet, but um always worth shouting out a reprint of a hard to get Reiner Knizia game. And Jake, guess what? Yeah. What's that? I know we didn't finish the crew. We got halfway through, but the standalone sequel to the crew has been announced coming out on march 1st 2020 the german title is called die crew mission tfc i don't know what that means i probably could have googled it but i'll tell you this this time it's on earth jake and we're going underwater we are exploring the depths of the sea we once explored the skies and the unknown the final frontier but now we are going down below to the land bringing it home of James Cameron in the Abyss. Uh, look, it's just 50 more missions and an, of an awesome game. Why wouldn't you want it? I didn't even finish it, and already I'm like, yes, give me Be more of the thing, of the thing that I want more of. Um, so yeah, the sequel to the crew, it's on Earth. It's underwater. They haven't told us anything other than more missions, more of the same, more goodness. Um, how many ideas do you think they can think of with just that, you know, four suits numbered one to nine. I mean, quite at a some few. point,
1: yeah. quite a few. I think they could keep them out for for a while.
0: Let's leave the land of the casual and enter the land of the very, very heavy. The land that I love to dwell in. Capstone Games has announced Coffee Traders. Coffee Traders is a three to five player game, averaging around 120 minutes. And we have been told it has a weight of around 4.0. I believe one of the designers or at least developers stated so on BGG. This is a heavy sucker. And it is from the designers of a game called Wildcatters, which I quite enjoyed, which is also a very heavy Capstone Games uh, game. I enjoyed it. It was fun. I believe uh, Spielworks did the first edition. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but it it is Heavy Euro. This is their second game. It's been quite a long time since then, so I imagine they put quite a lot of work into this, and it takes place in a really unusual theme, which is 1970, the dawn of a new era. The future of coffee farming is bright, a game about coffee farming in 1970. Jake, I know that is a a particular uh, era that you're very (laughs) interested in, coffee farming in the 70s. Um, you have your oh, PhD. Well, I, mean, I did my dissertation on coffee right. farming in the seventies. So, um, but you know, do you know somebody who will be instantly excited about this? Can you tell me who that person would be?
1: Someone who likes coffee from the seventies.
0: Alfred Darlington is a coffee obsessive and a coffee oh. expert. He's a. Did you know Alfred actually judges coffee tasting oh, competitions? Yeah.
1: You know what I did? I had forgotten Alfred, that amazing detail. Alfred,
0: I mean, I I would even say that coffee is his main hobby and board gaming might be his second hobby. I mean, well, yes, hobby. I mean, music is not his hobby. It's his profession. So, so yeah, I mean, he loves coffee, but now we're combining his two favorite things. He loves heavy Euros and he loves coffee. Alfred, get excited for coffee traders. I'm very excited. We don't know much. We know it's coming next year. They haven't even told us. Oh, sorry. Uh, pre-orders open on Capstone's game Tuesday, December 1st. Um, we don't have a price yet. We don't know much else, but... It's worth checking out Wildcatters to see uh, what a wonderful heavy game that is, and I can only imagine how wonderful and heavy Coffee Traders will be. Um, And Capstone Games putting it out gives me a fair amount of confidence that I'm going to like it. Um, Thirsty, sure, or at least tired, and (laughs) and more caffeine. Um, This is a really exciting thing. I just heard about this yesterday. It was just announced the day before we recorded this podcast, and I think it is a fantastic. Idea, and I'm so happy this exists. The Zenobia Award has been announced. Let me read you about this. Dan Thura, one of my uh, favorite writers in the in the hobby, uh, I believe, is credited for writing this description. There's uh, a huge amount of. Uh, influential and wonderful people from our hobby who put this together and it is the zenobia award historical board games are enjoyed by people from all walks of life but their designers are predominantly white men the zenobia award hopes to change this by encouraging game submissions by people from marginalized groups. The Zenobia Award is not an ordinary design award, promising applicants will receive mentorship on their designs from established industry designers, and the winners will receive help navigating the game publication process in addition to a cash prize. Are you underrepresented in the hobby, love board games and history, and want to see more historical games? Come design with us. So if you go to Zenobia, zenobia award.org you can get all the information you need on how to submit your game design for the Zenobia award which i think is exactly what our hobby needs we definitely have way too many predominantly white men as designers in our hobby especially in the historical and war game world which i think is sort of what we're getting towards here the uh pax Pamir artwork background of this website lets me know that uh they are definitely focused on the historical and wargame side of the hobby. Um and we definitely need more underrepresented people and time periods and cultures represented well in our hobbies. Um I don't want to see people fighting over uh land in the Mediterranean ever again if possible. So go to the Zenobia Award uh website Zenobiaward.org. Um submissions must be received by January 15th, 2021 if you are uh if you fit there uh criteria for submitting you can check out all about that there but yeah i think this is exciting and i'm the, the the long list of exciting names involved in this is like you know reads as a who's who of influential board game publishers and designers and media people so so happy they did this i think that's fantastic um moving on there's just a couple few things left fantasy flight games has lost the right to the star wars miniatures uh that includes x-wing And uh, it includes Legion and includes Armada. Um, I don't know how that happened, but they somehow lost their rights to printing pieces of plastic shaped like Darth Vader. Uh, And instead, uh, Atomic Mass Games is going to be taking it over. Uh, We don't yet know exactly what that means, but a lot of the people who are involved in these games with these miniatures um, are a part of the development team that is taking them over. So it seems like... The license is lost, but a lot of the people who were involved in these are involved in Atomic Mass games and taking this over. So I know a lot of people, uh, their entire hobby is one of those games. So um, I sure hope your game continues to thrive. Um, Two more pieces left. Uh, One of my favorite games of this year so far is Oceans, which is a fantastic engine building game with a really cool theme of well things in the ocean the first expansion has been announced legends of the deep and expansion to oceans will come to kickstarter mid 2021 and this has a fantasy theme to it which i did not expect now the original oceans seemed very um scientific almost uh it it was, Uh, you know all about sort of evolving different fish and you know becoming uh, predators and it was it was all very much based on our world and uh, the ecosystem of the ocean and science and now you can be Atlanteans or (laughs) or mermaids or yeah Uh, so I think it's you sort of at the beginning of the game you pick a asymmetrical rule-breaking power that you'll have. So look, I always like anything that that adds more asymmetry to my engine builders, um, and I'll definitely take a look at it. But um, I can't say that I was expecting to see a fantasy theme come to Oceans. Um, Lastly, we'll end with a casual game here as well. There is a game called Creature Comforts on Kickstarter right now. Uh, This is a game designed for children and families, but for children and families where someone in the house likes Euro games because uh, this is not your typical children's game. It looks a lot like Everdell. It has very, I mean, I'm talking light as a feather gameplay here, but it's worker placement. These are Euro mechanics. The artwork really looks like Everdell. I, I, I I don't think it's the same artist, but it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, But I love the idea of designing games for children with these mechanics that they can learn at a young age and be comfortable moving up to, to start playing, you know, more interesting games, at least to the parents than games like sorry or risk or, uh, you know, absolutely typical Hasbro. 100% agree. So yeah, creature comforts. I might even back this myself, even though my kid is a few years away from being able to play this, but yeah, I mean, they say this is, you know, ages eight and up, um, but I was reading some things that made it sound like even younger could be playing this. It's, it's quite mm-hmm. quite simple, but um, absolutely worth checking out if you uh, have a Eurogamer in your family or a burgeoning Eurogamer or you want your children to see the wonders of our hobby and start them off right. Uh, Creature Comforts, that's it for news. Let's move on to Games on the Brain. <laughs> Jakey, what's on that beautiful brain of yours these days? <laughs>
1: uh, well, these days, very recently, it's got to be The Crew, which I've been thinking about since we played it together. Yeah. Um, and other than that, not too much. I don't really get a lot of games in my life these days, unfortunately. It's, uh, it's just not really a component of my day to day as it has been in many portion,
0: portions of my life where that's like a huge port, but it's just not, it's just not really happening for me right now. You still firing up the Xbox at the end of your day sometimes? <sighs> uh, yeah, I'll turn it on, but I found that my attention for it just is completely
1: destroyed. I don't know if it's fatigue or if it's just that I have other things on my mind, but I'll, I'll turn it on and I'll like, kind of stared it for a minute but I, i'm not <laughs> in it the way i once was where it was an escape for me where i could like go be a hero and like fight yeah. the bad guys with a sword it, these days honestly I'm, I'm so exhausted at the end of my days that like yep, I, I literally i'm not even kidding i'll literally turn it on and i'll like stare at it for a minute and be like what am i doing i'm, I'm asleep i'm
0: going to sleep <laughs> yeah it's it the the my bedtime is embarrassing these days. I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I, I, I I'm falling asleep at like nine thirty or 10 o'clock these days. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's not like, crazy. Parents all over the world know this to be true is that you give all your energy
1: to the kids and then the, finally you yeah. get them to sleep, hopefully without incident. And you look at the clock and you're like, all right, maybe I've got an hour or 90 minutes before I'm, it doesn't even matter.
0: Yeah, and, it's one app. Uh, yeah, one app of something.
1: That's right. That's right. It's a one app kind of life. And my whole so life, honestly, I was like,
0: "Who are these people who wake up at five in the morning and go to bed at like ten o'clock? Like, who are these yeah, people?" Yeah, and I and I never thought I could be. I've, I'm a night owl. My whole life, up till three in the morning, four in the morning, mm-hmm. sleeping till nine or ten, even into my thirties. Um, yeah, you just have kids. That that that's how you become a person that's that it. wakes up at five that's in the it. morning and go to bed. That's, that's it. That's it's literally all it is. Yeah. That's all well, you just don't have a choice it's it's survival yeah. no there's
1: no there's nothing for it
0: um so what about you, games what on my games brain on yeah yeah games on my brain um uva rosenberg has a new big box game coming out which always makes me want to dive into all of his games again so holler tau uh is hopefully shipping by the end of the year i've pre-ordered it um from miniature market which has pre-orders up i think uh boardlandia also has them up as well uh in the states at least um and this is yeah this is a big box classic heavy Uwe farming game um kind of has a theme of brewing and beer but when, when you look into it it's not really um it looks fascinating i'm I've read the rule book and I can't wait to play it. And that it, every time I read a new Uwe Rosenberg rulebook, I immediately want to go play my favorite Uwe Rosenberg game. So I pulled Newsford out again, which is one of my favorites, and I've been playing Newsford solo a lot. And it's absolutely brilliant, and it may have inspired me to do a review of it as a solo game because I think it's just... Uh, unparalleled almost as a solo game and so i'm going to try to get clarification
1: when you say a farming game are we talking like meeples with little bits of things that are supposed to be corn and like cows and stuff like well, that have,
0: have we ever played agricola together i feel like you've probably we played have, that before we have long ago long ago we we
1: set it up and i think i was a very good sport in the matter but it, i didn't
0: yeah. to it let's just put it that so way. So it it's a farming, it's a Euro game with a theme of farming simulation, although there's yeah. there's absolutely yeah, yeah. no actual simulation taking place. It's all abstraction, but you are, you have empty fields and you have to sow the fields and you have to plant right. goods and then you have to wait for the goods to harvest. And then you have to find a place to put your animals and then you have to find the, the right time or way to, to. Slaughter those animals and get the fur, and then use the the fur in order yeah. to get the thing. And the but it's a resource management Can you game? imagine trying to teach and play this game with like an actual farmer who has to wake up at <laughs> four in the morning and
1: do these things I, for real for twelve hours and go to sleep? Well, at, you know, six. Minutes. There, I mean,
0: most of these games that Uva designs are are historical games that take place in in germany in you know usually yeah. the 1918 17 16th centuries at different times yeah. in these games so i i would imagine that there are german farmers because you know these euro games oh, are, are, are very big deals uh, in germany more than they are in most other countries so i bet there's a lot of actual farmers that play agricola um there should maybe be a dating site, you know, of just More like a farmers just for that who play Agricola. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Howler are on my mind? I cannot wait to get it. I cannot wait to play it and review it for all of you as soon as possible. Um, on top of that, uh, Ben uh, Mandelker has infected my mind with the game. The transcontinental people. Look, I'm not going to name names, but at least two people on our podcast have played this game on tabletop simulator and said it's potentially a top ten game of all time. wow uh, that those are big words, uh, there are about two weeks left on the Kickstarter. Definitely check it out. Just hearing that made me go, "Well, now I have to read the rule book because what are you talking about?" Yeah. And it looks fantastic. I watched a playthrough. I backed it. Um, it looks like the real deal. First time designer. I mean, like, wow. You know, I mean, it's it takes a lot to get me to back a first time designer on Kickstarter these days. Um, yeah. But having two people. Uh, in our group say that it has the potential not saying it is, but saying like they could see this being in their top 10 games of all time with a few more plays. High praise high praise indeed. Lastly, the game high frontier for all the fourth edition of high frontier is being delivered to me this week. Tom has talked forever about this game. Um, It has the most beautiful board ever designed in our hobby. It's worth looking up. Um, And this is a, a, uh, this is a board game about rocket science. This is a board game about um launching rockets deep into uh space and um it is quite a simulation of how that actually would work designed by an actual rocket scientist. Cool. Um, fourth edition of high frontier. we
1: in our game group. I think we do.
0: Um well I mean Jennifer worked in that industry yes for a long time.
1: Isn't isn't Paul also a rocket scientist?
0: Paul uh I, I, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about what Paul did in the military, and in fact, I don't believe well, I he's ever really. The it, military? <laughs> I don't think he's ever really told me, but I believe it has something to do with rockets. Um, mm-hmm. He could also Sorry, be Paul. completely making it up. Um, that's yeah, that's what's on my brain. Um, update on the eight by eight challenge. Moving right along, shall we get into <laughs> our game review, Jake Shapiro? Yes, please, Matthew Robinson. Let's do it. Two Jews reviewing Lost Ruins of Arnak. Let's do this. Lost Ruins of Arnak is a 2020 release from the designers Elwin and Min, or Min and Elwin, I believe, as it says on the box. A married couple, first time designers, longtime employees of the publisher, Czech Games Edition. This is their first game. Uh, the artists are Yuri Kus, Andre Hredina, Jakob Pulitzer. Frantisek, Sedlacek, and Milian Vabry. Uh, They are all employees, I believe, of Czech Games, uh, which is a fantastic publisher, of course, from the Czech Republic. Uh, this is the 2020 release big box game. It is one to four players, 30 to 120 minutes, with a BGG weight of 2.88. Jake, do you want to tell us a little bit about Lost Runes of Arnak from the casual gamer's perspective?
1: Yes, I think I'll I'll sort of ease into it by at at least at the very least just describing the the skin like the overlay. So yeah. essentially you are explorers. Um and when I look at it I'm thinking you know the the true sense of like Indiana Jones-esque explorer with a satchel and a whip kind of thing and a, a trusty revolver at your side, but it, it's essentially um it, you you try to go to these new locations in the unknown worlds and there's different ways to get there. And when you get there, there's different rewards that ultimately become resources towards continuing your exploration. And uh, it's beautiful artwork. The board looks super cool. Um, the cards, it's a card game as well, looks super cool. All the art on all of them. Um, there are hidden monsters that pop up out of you. If you like delve too deep into a cave or go to a specific location, they'll be guarded by monsters that you can attempt to slay for further resources and points. Um, and then along one side is also sort of like a tech tree, I guess you'd call it, where you're trying to build your, your, your points and your information along that way. Um, I'm sure that Matt can fill in the details much better than I can, but I will say that I enjoyed it very much.
0: Yeah, no, you nailed it. I mean, this is Indiana Jones—the theme, absolutely. Yeah, we are we are exploring. Uh, you know, we are archaeologists. You're literally your meeples are called archaeologists in this game. We're exploring a uncharted new land, um, but this is the theme is wonderful, um, and uh, we'll get into whether or not it uh, helps in the gameplay at all, or it's just sort of a skin. But um, this is straight up worker placement and deck building um and it is it is exactly what that sounds like which 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 is a sort of a a, sort of the thing this year i mean there's been quite a few games with worker placement deck building coming out at the end of this year um dune imperium which is coming out later this year is also a worker placement deck building game um Yeah, so I mean, it it seems like this is uh, on a lot of people's minds, and and as often happens, those ideas end up all coming out at the same time, yet they all were worked on independently. Um, But yeah, Lost Ruins of Arnak is worker placement, deck building. Literally, you have two workers, and you can send your workers out um, to certain locations on the board. There are a handful of those locations available at the very beginning of the game to get very basic things. Send your worker Get two bucks, send a worker, get two compasses, which you need for more exploration.
1: And am I remembering right that to send your worker to any of these locations costs you a card from your hands?
0: Exactly. So there is a travel cost to sending your worker out. You can't just pick up your worker and plop them down. They actually need to travel there. So every card in your hand, you start the game with a with a, a deck of six cards and you draw five. So you'll see all but one card in your starting hand of your starting cards. And everybody has the exact same starting cards like, like a game of Dominion would have. Mm-hmm. And every card can either be used for its effect on the card or in the upper left-hand corner, there's a travel icon and there are different icons for different locations. So there are, there are, there's a boot icon, which is sort of by foot traveling by foot. Mm-hmm. Then there's a Jeep icon traveling by Jeep. There's a boat traveling by boat. And then, um, on some cars, there is a plane, which is a wild, which means it can take you anywhere. Um, right. So thematically, that's fun. You actually, you know, you have to actually walk there, which is going to cost you a card. And sort of the cards in your hand, as you would imagine, um, are sort of your uh, your actions. So once you run out of cards, once you run out of workers, you must pass, and uh, that's the end of your round. So you want to you want to get as much out of them as you can. Um, you can always spend two dollars to create a wild travel or a, a an airplane that means you can go anywhere so you don't have to spend a card but resources are very tight in this game especially they in the really are really tight so and there's then, only a couple you, yeah go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no i was no, just going to say
1: as you go you know i said earlier that you get resources from exploring but really what you're getting is more cards better right. cards that that in your next turn
0: enable you to go farther or do more it
1: it builds quite nicely
0: exactly so Uh, Unlike Dominion, there isn't a static card market that you see at the beginning of the game. Instead, there is a conveyor belt card market. So so all deck building games either have the static market like Dominion or they have Mm -hmm. sort of the star realms constantly rotating, buy a card, slide them down, add new ones, and the whole deck is uh, asymmetrical and every card is completely different um so and this has that so you start the game with uh there i think there are five items out there are two different decks items and artifacts um and there's items and as an action you can buy an item the items all cost gold and artifacts all cost compasses um and the only difference between them is that when you buy an item it goes to the bottom of your deck which means that it doesn't go into discard. Exactly. You don't get it to later, but it's a little bit better than Dominion, wherein it's going to get thrown into your discard pile and then shuffled up and you'll draw it when mm. you've completely drawn your deck. Anything you buy... And the other ones are like
1: instant, basically.
0: Right. The artifacts are instant, but anything you buy this turn that's an item um will definitely be played ahead or drawn ahead of the cards you played this round so it, it's a little bit better than dominion you're not gonna it's not gonna get you're not gonna you're definitely gonna draw them before you draw the cards you just played um there's also yes, a good though.
1: amount of vying for those cards on on the conveyor sure. because you might really have your eyes set on something perfect for what you're working on and if you don't time it outright the opponent can snag it
0: that's correct, yes. And and they are not all balanced. There are some cards that are, look, they're balanced in the sense that they're more expensive, but there's only one horse in the game, and that is a very good card because it lets you draw more cards. And I'm sure as uh, somebody who's played Euro games, you can imagine more actions are always good. So that horse, if you're first player and that horse is out there, Uh, you're going to do pretty well, uh, which is going to frustrate some people, and we'll get into that. But yeah, artifacts then are the other cards you can buy, as this is a deck-building game. And the only difference is they get played immediately. Buy it, do it what it says, but then it's going to get shuffled into your deck It's free to play it the first time you buy it after you've paid the cost for it. But any other time throughout the game that you draw it from your deck and you want to play it, you're going to have to spend a tablet in order to use it. So it's free the first time and tablets are are somewhat expensive resources to get. They're rare. They have a lot of uses. Um, So, yeah, in the future, it's going to always cost you a tablet first time free and all items are free to play. Uh, in the future, but you won't see them for a little while. So there's some cool differences there that I really like the difference between those two decks, um, and I actually liked the thematicness of it. Like you know, a horse. Like you, you, you feel like you're moving faster through your deck when you get it. It's helping you do things. There's a machete that allows mm-hmm. you to explore farther, and also, the it, well, the do- yeah, but the machete also the allows you to ca- to to cull cards from your deck, like you're cutting them and getting them out of your deck, which is really cool. And of course, as in any deck builder, culling cards is very strong and you can build whole strategies around that. So it takes all the tropes you know from deck building. And it also takes all the tropes you know from worker placement because worker placement can be, I mean, like I said, resources are tight. There's only one space on the board to get two bucks at the beginning of the game. And if you ain't first player, you ain't going there because someone else is going to go there ahead of you. And then, okay, you're not buying cards this round, probably. Hmm, what are you going to do? Well, you've got to zig one others zag. And so part of that, though, is creating new worker placement spots by exploring. So once you get three compasses, you can explore a level one location. When you explore, you have to spend we, three. Yeah, go ahead. Did
1: we already say that there are basically like, what was it? Three tiers of locations?
0: There, I'm Well, yes, there's. There's the tier that's already there at the beginning of the game, the, the tents. Then there's the level one sites and the level two sites. Right. Um, so you go to one of these level one sites, you send your worker there, you've got to travel there, meaning you're going to have to spend a card with a jeep or a boat on it, um, or you're going to have to spend two bucks uh, to sort of make a virtual travel token. Then you're going to draw uh, the top tile these wonderfully beautiful thick tiles with wonderful art on them and you're gonna see a new worker placement location and you don't know what it's going to be they're all good um but they're all different and they give you different things and the nice thing is the minute you explore it you instantly do the action um so you know draw a card get two bucks Mm -hmm. get a ruby whatever it is um sometimes they've if, if it's really good meaning you get really good resources you have to take a fear card. So every, every time in your deck, at you, every, every, the beginning of every game, we all start with two fear cards. And fear cards, like every deck builder, are bad cards. You don't want to be drawing. Um, yeah, they're minus they're, ones to your, minus, to your score. Minus one score. But they do have boots on them, so you can use them to travel. They, uh, they scare mm-hmm. you enough to get you running, I guess. And I noticed um, that
1: one of the downsides to opening up a new location is you didn't just open it up for yourself. Because now your opponent can go there on the next round.
0: That's right. You're, you've you opened it, but you don't own it. It's not your spot. You've just explored it. But there is a cool thing that happens is that you, you explore it. You do the action of the location. But then you must draw a guardian from the top of the yeah. guardian deck, face down deck of monsters, basically. This yeah. site is then going to be guarded by a mean, scary monster with really cool art on them. They're not named, which I actually think is really fun. So you get to kind of decide what you would call these baddies as they come out and One of them definitely looks like the beetle from Starship Troopers. Um, Yeah. And uh, I just called that the Starship Troopers beetle. And uh, yeah, that sits on top of the location, does not block the location. All it does is at the end of the round, if you have to pull your workers back, as you do at the end of the round, if there's a monster there, you take a fear card. Um, And that monster could sit there for the whole game. Um, It tells you if nobody kills it right so as a separate action you could either kill a monster that's already at your recently explored location or when you travel to another location you could kill the monster there um all monsters are worth five points at the end of the game which is a lot um but i like that you don't have to deal with them like one fear Mm -hmm. card isn't necessarily that big of a deal you there are lots of ways to to get rid of them yeah exactly Um, and there are so few actions in this game and the resources are so tight that I often found myself going, yeah, I don't want to deal with this monster. I got too much stuff to do. Like I'll take the fear (laughs) card. I don't care. Um, or like, I know I need that Ruby for something else. Like I'm not using it to get rid of this monster. Like I don't need the five points that much right now. Um, I'll say that, that one of the things I noticed right away after we played it the first time was how fast it
1: felt like there wasn't a lot of turns in the game that that really made an impression on me because like as i started to grasp how it would unfold it's it's over before you have a chance to like really yeah. build it you're done it's done
0: absolutely there are five rounds in the game and a round ends when you have no more actions left to play and you do that five times and you only ever draw five cards from your deck and you only start with six in your deck um so yeah you you need to figure out how to get more actions as the game goes on um and some of them are gonna come from your cards and some of them are gonna come from- uh, It's
1: very doable though, because I remember in our second playthrough, at the very end, you had a string of actions that was like, new card, do this, go here, new card, do this, the thing. And it just kept going for a very long time.
0: So and it's definitely uh, plausible. So, and and this became quite clear to me within a, within a couple plays of this. This feels exactly like Everdell to me in the sense of on the first round, you end that round and you go. I did nothing. Yeah. How? What does? How am I ever going to do anything in this game? Are you kidding me? And by that fifth round, you're comboing like crazy. You've you've yeah. done everything you wanted to do. You've yeah. got you've moved all the way up the tracks. You've explored eight places. And your last turn is like, I do this. I do this. I do this. I do this. And it's like you. It was definitely shocking to me the first few games because it was like it, it. And it's almost like a magic trick. Like Everdell really has that. We are like. Wait a minute! I have two workers and, but or three workers and okay, that's it. I I have now I have like a couple resources and you you are shocked that by the end of the game you have you know put out sixteen locations and yeah. you're you've done crazy stuff and no, your it, scores. It was
1: cool to see. It gave me hope that if I played it more, I could achieve that as well. But just watching it happen, it shows that the complexity pays off
0: yeah absolutely and so and the last part of the game is the research track um and you you called it a tech tree it's not quite a tech tree it's more it's more like a temple track in 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 sort of euro games or in you you've got it, it has one interesting aspect so you have two pieces that start at the bottom of the tech track every every i just call it the tech track the temple track the research track. Mm-hmm. every every mm-hmm. player has a magnifying glass and a book and they both cost the same to move up so imagine sort of um like a series of interlinked rooms that you must move through, mm-hmm. um, and and as you each with go cost. up, each with a cost and branching paths. So you and but the only difference in the path is the cost to get through the path. So let's say right. you know the resources needed. Yeah, yeah. It costs two tablets and an arrowhead to move to this room, or one ruby to move to this room. Your only decision is you know which one do I want to spend, or what do I have more of, um, and that will take you to another room where there's a branching path of resources there. But you must move your uh your uh magnifying glass before you move your book right so thematically it's you must search something before you can write about it you must research something look into it before you can write about it
1: you don't have to move your book up um like immediately behind you can you can chase the the magnifying glass all the way to the end and the book can be left way behind
0: You can never move your book up if you choose not to, but the rule is the book can never move past the magnifying glass and they can take different routes too. You can, they can go on totally separate routes. You can just never move your book past. So what what is the point of moving up these things? Well, victory points, um, on the right side of the board, on the right side of this track, uh, it tells you how many victory points you get for your magnifying glass. If it's in a certain position and how many victory points you get for your book, if it's in a certain position at the end of the game, you add those two up and that's your victory points for the research track. there is also a sort of temple track thing. First person to get to the top gets a certain; it's the most victory points. Second person gets less, all the way into the last person gets the least. Um, there's also, if you're at the very top, you can still keep spending resources to just buy victory points at the end of the game um, in the form of these tokens that have different victory point denominations. And I'll say
1: that on our of, of our two playthroughs on the first one, I kind of just ignored it. I was like, all right, let me get a feel for the rest of it. It was a lot to take in as, as the casual viewpoint um and it was a complete slaughter like there was no doubt in my mind that by ignoring that that was you, you can't you cannot ignore
0: it right and that's um so i played this over the weekend with uh, on tabletop simulator um I, with a private mod that's not available so don't search for it um <laughs> I, I, I played it with well i just don't want people to be disappointed if they go look for it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Find it there. Um, i played it with ben and uh paul And I told them before the game, do not ignore the research track. You cannot win without it. You You cannot cannot win without the research track. Right. Um, You don't have to get all the way to the top. Actually, I don't know if I agree with that. You might actually have to get to the top to win. Um, But you don't have to make it your entire game, but you better make it a a, a big part of your game. Um, I don't think you can be competitive and completely ignore it. and I tried it's not, really hard the
1: second playthrough to get up that. I, I couldn't do it, at least not on my first attempt. Yeah. I'm sure that the math of it and the economy of resources that you need to accumulate so as to maneuver your pieces up that thing. I, yeah, I didn't and, get it in the first move, but it's clear the that down, that's
0: huge. The, the downside with having a... Look, I've, only, I've played this four times now, so I'm not going to say that... I, I'm sure the designer could come on and whoop me without touching the research check. In fact, I'd love to see that. I wonder if it's possible. Um, I, I think it would involve a lot of monster killing and a lot of searching, which then involves getting the right cards for that. That's the difference is that like, if you don't have cards that make you a better monster killer or make you a better searcher, or you're not, you don't yeah, have the right turn order. We saw, a
1: few. we saw a few cards that did that. I think, right. was, uh, but I'm saying was if you don't
0: get those cards, There's no cards that you need to do the research track. You just do it. Right. 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 Um, Right. right. So you'll, so that's the difference I think. Um, But yeah, I'd be very interested to see somebody beat me or beat anybody without even touching the research track. But Mm -hmm. so the, and the research check isn't necessarily fun to move up. It's just, it's just resource management. It's just, okay, I need, yeah. in order to make it all the way to the top, I'm eventually going to need nine rubies, 14 tablets, 17, you know, exploration. You know, you Plus can just math it out thematic. quickly. Yeah. yeah. And, and just go like, well, here's what I need to make it to the top. I have five rounds to get all those resources and make it to the top. Um, but your, the first two times your book moves up, you get an assistant. So these stacks mm-hmm. of assistant tiles at the bottom, which are basically instant actions uh that are just free actions that you can take so give me give me some extra money make cards cheaper to buy from the market um give you free travel tokens things like that so look in a They're game of crucial to me uh, totally i crucial. think without those you're 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 not going to be competitive well that's the one thing i'd say i don't think you can be competitive and ignore the assistance because this is a game where you have very few actions and you need yeah. Every bit of help you can get in those actions, just like an Everdell, anything that gives you an edge to keep your turn going, to give you more actions, to to make you more efficient.
1: I forget how, but they themselves also level up so that you can flip them over and
0: their power right. become way
1: more powerful.
0: Right. So there's the, the basic side and then the advanced side of your, your assistants or and your super did, side. Did you
1: remind us how do we do that? How do we level yeah, it, them up? I it's like can't.
0: level four and level five of the books, I believe. Like it's just about moving right. your book up farther. Right, right, right. Um, and I didn't, I, one thing is I did not find those to be necessary, which is nice, um, uh, a couple of them, you know, are really good if you can do it, but moving, you know, it's really about getting your magnifying glass way up there. Cause that's how you get the points like the book, mm-hmm. the book's about getting the assistance. I've, I've, I've yet to see somebody get both of their book and their magnifying glass as high up as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that would be smart. Cause then that really would be your entire game just doing that. Um, and you wouldn't be buying cards and then you wouldn't have as many actions as other people. Um, So, yeah, there's there's definitely um, some interesting uh, elements to strategy. Um, My biggest worry is how I think I think the games will start feeling pretty samey after a while. Um, Because
1: basically the the goals and how you get there, you you think you're going to like hone in on them and there won't be much more to explore.
0: I just don't think there's, there's a, a wide variety of strategies. Um, Mm. I, I, but look, I'm four games in, so I, am I'm not the player to say, you know, that, that I've explored the whole thing. Um, I will say that it is, um, a light enough game where I feel like I'm, I, I, I've seen pretty deep into it and that, um, you know, four, four or so games and I've played it probably another three or four times solo, um, I feel like I've, I've seen all the cards in the deck at this point now. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, let's let's get into our, our overall thoughts then, Jake. So I'll just briefly say the last thing I'll explain about the game. There are two sides to the game board. Um, there's your basic side. And then there's, I don't know if I'd call it an advanced side, but it's slightly different. The, the resources needed to move up on the temple track are different. Um, some of the travel costs are different and the most interesting thing is that your first assistant you get the normal way by moving your book up and the next one though um usually when you buy an assistant you have a choice of three face up ones there are sort of i guess thematically like kidnapped assistants farther up the research track mm-hmm. and you you get them by rescuing them and That's cool. you you get to see a stack of them and pick one so you you have a and then and then the next person gets there sees one last and the, you know so there's there is some sort of cool a little more, um, a little more choice in who your assistants are, I guess. Um, so yeah, but that that's it. There's there's just sort of two different sides to the board, and they have a little bit of a different feel to them. But you know, the locations are exactly the same, and the cards. All right, are so why don't the same. you
1: give us your overall from a much more educated, um, and then I'll follow up with a more casual, casual point of view on it.
0: Sure, sure, sure. Um, so yeah, to me, I, I really feel like this scratches the same itch as Everdell for me, as that this is a entry-level look into Euro games um, and a fantastic starting point. Um, It it will teach you both deck building and worker placement, just as Everdell will teach you worker placement and engine building. Um, This will teach you both of those Uh, This will give you many different flavors of those, and those are and these are clearly does I I, you know clearly these designers love both of those mechanics and have um, played countless games using those mechanics and really understand all the fun things that deck building can do and all the fun things that worker placement can do. Um, and they do them really well. There's interesting things. I like the getting the fear card as your worker is pulled back at the end of the round. That's really interesting. I like the travel cost of sending workers out. I've never seen that before. So they're even adding new interesting things to it. Um, but yeah, to me, this is this is a great entry level game. Um, This is a game that if given a choice, I probably wouldn't pull out at a game night. Um, But I think this is a, this is a game I would bring to play with casual players. Now, that being said, is it too complicated for a casual gamer, like a real casual gamer? Like, would I teach this to somebody who doesn't play board games? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't teach Everdell to somebody who doesn't teach board games, play board games either. Really? I would start, I would start simpler um so that begs the question is this appeasing no one really because it's a little too complicated for non-gamers or very casual gamers and maybe a little too simple for more experienced gamers i don't know i i think that i think that actually your mileage may vary on that but personally for me i i have enough people in my life or know enough people that like games, but all you know don't want to sit down and play a three hour you know economic simulation, but do want to play uh you know something with a little more meat on its bones than you know cards for humanity. Um I would happily play this or Everdell. And I, I really like Everdell, um which is also a little bit of a problem too, because these these do feel very similar to me in the itch they scratch, in that itch of entry level mechanics, um, that are still enjoyable enough for for somebody who uh, is more used to uh more complicated fare. Um mm-hmm. I would rather play Everdell than this. I personally I I like an engine builder more. I I like that. That's my my vibe more. But if you have that same kind of thing where you're like I want that next step um or you have people in your life that like board games uh that aren't, you know, of the Catan nature, um and you want something new to play with them or and show them the wonderful world of deck building and the wonderful world of worker placement at the same time and all the cool things it can do. Um, this is brilliant. I, I think this this definitely scratches an itch. Um, BGG has it weighted at 2.88. I think that's pretty spot on. Um I personally, I, ha, I, 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 I'm very weary of adding games to my collection below a three, um, purely because I know that they don't get to the table as often as other ones. Just, just from the nature of, of, you know, the, the, the flavors that I like in my food, uh, metaphorically speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I was a little disappointed, um, in that I, I guess from watching some playthroughs, I thought it was going to be a little meatier, um, but it, it look it was enjoyable. It was just that thing where it's like, okay, after I, like after four or five plays of it, I could see this hitting my cell pile. Right. Yeah. Um, tell uh, me, Jake, how did you feel?
1: I got to tell you, I think I, I 100% understand your point of view because it makes you said it really well. I think I'm, I think as the casual gamer, it hit me perfectly. Mm. It was challenging enough that I felt like I didn't. I, definitely didn't see through it the way you you know how for you you just you can see through it because you have so much more experience with much more difficult things for me it was just the right level of difficulty to make it both interesting and challenging i i loved the skin which i've said on previous episodes of the the pod that that's that's a big draw for me like if had this been farming i might not have been into it right but um the the visuals and the theme really brought me in the uh the combination of those two mechanics was difficult enough that i was interested in it but not so hard that like i zoned out and stopped caring which does I admittedly sometimes happens on the on the heavier weighted games when i'm sitting there with the rest of you guys it can be really hard for me to focus in to appreciate it the same way you guys are but for this one and i guess for other casual gamers of the level that i'm at it, it was just right um I could probably play this way more times than you and continue to enjoy it. If only just because of that difference. Um, but I agree with you when you say it's, it's sort of like a little harder than entry level, but not so much harder that like, I didn't enjoy, like it wasn't too easy for me. I definitely didn't look at it and was like, ah, I got it at all. I had to think, um, I, I, I enjoy playing it a lot. I, I,
0: I, I, it's, look, it's not, it's not like it was Candyland for me. No, or you're not bad-mouthing. Like, I'm
1: not saying you are. It, it's no, no, fun. No. I'm, I just mean, like, from my level, it was perfect. It was It was easy to learn. Like, you taught it really simply and really well. I got it right away. But it was complex enough that after two plays, I would play it more. I would yeah. play it more. My one critique, and it's not even a critique because it's how it's supposed to be. But the one thing that I didn't, like, enjoy was how quickly it felt over. I mm-hmm. felt like I was just starting to get it going and it was done. Yeah. And that's yeah. really more no. of a critique of my own playing ability than of the game, really, because you know, if you're better, then you're gonna make more of your time. But how like I'd like to try the game.
0: Yeah, go ahead. How long would you say it took for us to play a game?
1: Uh, way under an hour.
0: Yeah. Forty five minutes maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's forty fa- minutes, I mean, forty five minutes. At two player it's really fast. Now I played it with Ben and Paul over the weekend. Yeah. It, it took us almost three hours with a teach. Um, so
1: what is that? Now, That's
0: just because you added a third player? Well, look, tabletop. I think this is a game that is worse uh, virtually um, yeah. as, as in any game where there's a million resources. Like it, look, it takes two yeah. seconds for you to reach over and grab things, but now I got to get my mouse and I got to pick up two coins and bring them yeah, over. Maybe. And then I, you know, I got to scroll up to the market and grab a card and drag it all the way into my deck. And like, I I think this is, you know, this is a, this should be a two hour game with four players, I think. And it was almost three with three players. So that, that, you know, but, but I will say this, Ben and Paul really enjoyed it. I I don't want to speak for them, but they they seem to really have, have, have a lot of fun with it, which, um, I, I guess I didn't totally expect them to dig it as much. Um, I'm really glad that they played with me because I wanted to get more than just a one and two player play of it in before I reviewed it. Um, yeah. But they seem to really dig it. And hearing how much you enjoyed it really makes me like it more, too. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I think I might I might be a little burned out on deck builders. Or or at least, like, I love deck builders so much that, like, I I, I almost yeah. need something really new in order to make it interesting. Like, like Taverns of Typhonfell. I love Taverns of Typhonthal. Like, I absolutely adore it. And Res Arcana, I absolutely adore. And those are weird deck builders. Like, those are, like... So it's almost like to get me excited about deck builder, you have to do something weird or something that almost feels
1: like... This was more like standardized, like really right in the pocket
0: yeah yeah i mean and res arcana isn't even technically a deck builder it's you know more of a, a you, you you'd literally build a deck before it starts so but you're not actually adding to it as the game goes on but um, well just in a nutshell for me at least i would say that i really enjoyed it i would definitely play it again and
1: um, i think anybody who has ever identified themselves as maybe not as like super serious about it but really does like these kinds of games i, I think this one might be for you because it it it's hard enough that it doesn't just—you don't see right through it, or anyway, I didn't. But it's enjoyable. It's not so difficult that you can't make moves and and plan your future in it.
0: Yeah, I think they have a hit here. I mean, honestly, I, I think this game's going to do really well. I mean, the the theme Plus the it's gorgeous, beautiful. I want to hit that again. It, its
1: gorgeous. It really is cool.
0: The artwork is is kudos to to the artist on this because it is—it's yeah. shockingly beautiful. Um, and the, the board is gorgeous and has this really cool. Yeah, the board of, is. Great. Um, unusual perspective where it's almost like this 3d you're looking over this world, but at a bit Mm -hmm. of an angle. Um, yeah, really cool. Um, yeah, I I think this game will be a hit in that. I think it, it could appeal to a, to a wide audience. Um, it's just a question of like, is the, is the proportions of enough for casual at also, or, 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 you know, simple enough for casual, but interesting enough for experienced players. Right, right, Um, right. Is it going to hit them both enough? And and I think it might. I just think I already have that game, which to me is Everdell. Sure. If if I have sure, that sure. group that that I that where I want something that I'm going to really enjoy, but also isn't going to overwhelm a new player, I'm going to bring Everdell out. Um, that yeah. That's- well,
1: it's hard to review something in a vacuum. That. I mean,
0: you know. But yes, I hear what you mean. Absolutely. Um, I'll just give you quick thoughts on solo. I know some of our listeners uh, are going to want to know what the solo game is. Um, it had a really cool AI sort of, it comes with this deck of tiles and five are green and five are red. And the reds are just more complicated version of the greens. And so you, you build the difficulty of it by how many greens you replace with red. So I think they said like easiest to replace two of them and hard is to replace all of them. Um, I replaced clever. Is that a standardized methodology when they go to solo modes? No, it was new. I hadn't seen it before. Really cool. It's just flip a tile, do what it says on the tile, and it plays very similar to two player um, i I think difficulty might be an issue again I, I'm, I'm not I'm not the guy that always wins the games like I'm not a wildly smart euro player. I've just played a lot of games um, i I did four out of five red, and I whooped it on my first try and i didn't I did not want to whoop it I, did, I, exp- I wanted to be so you whooped
1: think it wasn't hard enough.
0: Yeah, well, four out of five difficulty. And I smoked it. I mean, it wasn't right, even right, close. Right, I, was, right. <laughs> I was like, I, I chose one that I thought I would lose at. I was like, all right, I'll do the second hardest difficulty. I think this thing will spank me. That'll be fun. So yeah. I was a little like, Ugh. and look, I'm this is not a brag. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the genius Euro player in our group. Trust me, I, I lose usually. Um. So yeah, I I don't know, It, it'd be worth exploring. I have yet to lose to the AI. Um, and my hardest difficulty, I it wasn't even close. So, but I didn't do the full difficulty, and I think playing the other side of the board is even a little more difficult. So I could have cranked it up another two levels, and maybe then I'd really be like, oh, okay, now I gotta now I gotta work hard. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it was really fast. I mean, snappy, snappy, snappy turns in solo. The AI was very brilliantly designed. Is this worth buying uh, for solo? It depends what kind of solo game you are. For me, I want a solo game that is going to just smoke my brain um and that that's what i enjoy in solo games i enjoy really meaty really heavy and um, often and and often very long and arduous and with a lot of rules um and this felt more like boom bam boom fun like almost mm-hmm. but it's not a fast setup any deck builder is not a fast setup and this is this is a 15 20 minute setup so am i going to do a 15 20 minute setup for a game that lasts 15 to 20 minutes I mean, you know, I can play it three or four times in a row to me. I don't know that that balance is off for me a little bit. Well,
1: that's fair. Um, that's a fair if, opinion.
0: If something takes 20 minutes to play, I'd like the setup to be five minutes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and this is a deck builder. You got to get the cards out. You got to shuffle. You got, you know, the, the things take time and there's a lot of resources to lay out too. Um, you know, final thoughts, very excited by this new married couple designer team. That's cool. I love it. um, uh, this is their first game. Congratulations! That is a fantastic first game. Um, I'm very excited to see what they do next. Um, always very happy to have uh, female designers designing big box, awesome games that are going to sell a lot of units. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm you know, I, I think I think this will find an audience, and I definitely think it's worth looking into. Um, and it's I, I love this new world of. Um, peanut butter and chocolate board game mechanics like let's combine two great things and see what we get um worker placement and deck building yeah you could do a lot worse yeah i liked it a lot awesome um good review let's move into our topic jake tee us up on the topic here i've talked long enough
1: okay well uh it came up naturally um which is just lucky for me because I don't have lots of extra brain cells left over for some of my favorite stuff like this pod um, after dealing with my kid, but luckily dealing with my kid fed right into this. So we, he, as I said, he just turned six and he's a pretty smart kid and and being a great game brain myself. And I'd like to say that he is too, although maybe it's a little too early to say, but we we play a lot of games and um, the, the issue of, being a sore loser has, has definitely surfaced. Um, and maybe it's age appropriate. I don't know. Obviously nobody likes to lose and that's its own thing. But you know, when you're a little kid, it it somehow maybe feels more means more. Mm -hmm. And I had noticed that the last few times that he had lost because, and and just step back, I'm not the kind of parent who just loses on purpose. Like that's that I don't do that. My parents didn't do that for me. When I play with my dad card games, it was like, well, beat me, play, play, play well. So I, I do that with him and sometimes he loses. And I had noticed that he started to have some serious like emotional responses. And so I decided to address with him, just in not one we were playing, but just me and him as a conversation when I thought he was in the right mood, the the idea of like fair play and being a gracious winner and a gracious loser, as opposed to a sore winner or a sore loser. And we had a really interesting conversation about it. I mean, it was mostly one-sided. I was, you know, imparting to him my ideas on this. And so when Matty said, you know, what should our topic be? It, it flowed very nicely since, you know, when, when you play games with your friends, how you play them really matters. And so I could, I could lay out for, for you all out there basically what I laid out for him. And hopefully it will make as much sense to you guys as it did to him, because I think he really, he really picked it up.
0: Um, That's great. I basically
1: yeah, started. Yeah, I, I basically started. And and again, I always, I, I'm, I'm personally the, maybe I'm an overthinker. I don't know, but I really, I really did think about it the night before, before I mentioned it to him and and I sort of had my thoughts in order when I brought it to him so that I wasn't just floundering. But um, this, this is basically how I broke it down. All right. So I I said, we, we, as human beings, we're we're a group species, right? Nobody does this on their own. You you can't survive. It does that's not how it works. We live in communities. We live in society, and it's all about interacting, and and how we behave. You know, behavior is a big thing in our house about like good behavior and how we treat people and what we say and what we do. So I started with that idea, and he seemed pretty chill with that. And I, I explained that the a, a child's first group that they experience is their family. And that's their first safe space to, like, learn what's right and what's wrong uh, so that when they go out into the world, they, they're not a crazy person who doesn't know how to interact with others. And he seemed pretty cool with that, too. And I, I explained to him how, like, a lot of our house rules are really just mod. like, I don't make this stuff up. You know, they're modeled on the laws of our land that we're getting you ready so that when you go out there, you know what's going to be expected of you. He was cool with that. Right. And then I explained how, like, the next safe place is the classroom. That's, that's the second place where a kid gets to experience competition and it might not be organized competition it might just be I want this you want that what happens next it's the same toy kind of thing and he seemed even pretty cool with that and then I tried to transition into my one main idea which is that it's about the playing it's about the experience that you are creating with your opponent that you know, when you use fair play, which is really all about honesty and generosity and being able to experience it other than your own point of view, it, it sort of transforms competition into cooperation. Obviously, nobody wants to lose. And I would never teach my kid that, you know, it's OK to be like a loser. That's You always want to win. You always want to do your best and bring your best to the, to the experience. But if you can wrap your mind around that the experience itself is the goal, not the end of the game being the goal, then you see that, in fact, what you've done is you've co-created this experience. And that, that's just straight cooperation. And th- those skills are going to be very valuable when you go out into the real world because you're going to be interacting with people where you might think they're your opponents, but really... They're just other people who also are just trying to live their life and have a good time, and he seemed to be—he seemed to get that. I he asked me a couple of questions, and I sort of—I sort of made him understand that it's about the the experience and not the win. And a couple of the ways that I think he really fully got it. I mean, I used catchphrases like you know, journey not the destination, but that seemed to kind of go over his head. So I I I did a little would you rather with him because that's a game Mm. he hilariously likes to bring to me and some of his examples are the most ridiculous thing, you know, like, would you rather eat a peanut butter, or like drown in the, it's crazy. But anyway, so <laughs> I did a, would you rather, and I was like, would you rather play and maybe win or lose, um, or not play at all and just be told you won. Mm. And he thought about that for a second and he was like, no, I want to play the game. I don't want to like just know what happened. There'd be no point. And I, I was pretty happy that he picked that up. And yeah, I I mean, I, I, I tried to, I tried to build to that idea that it's not about just the outcome. Like there's no sports fans who just want to look at the scores. They want to experience the play. Right. And I, and I gave him another one. I said, would you rather have fun playing and maybe win or lose? um, But know that you can have more fun playing again, or would you rather definitely, we would rather play, but definitely win but never play again. And he had to think about that for a second. And he said, no, of course, I, I would rather take the chance and be able to play more. And I said, well, then, so there you see it, that it is the playing that is the valuable thing. It's not the end result that is more valuable. And I think he, I think he got that. Um, and, and I kind of broke down, I, I transitioned from there into, okay, so how can we best co-create the experience, right? How do we make it fun? Because that's what playing a game is all about. And when we talk about fair play, we, we want it to be fun, right? These, these rules and, and the way we behave about this, it, it, I tried to make it as simplified as possible. So I was like, all right, let's talk about being a sore winner. And I said, if, if you win a game and you gloat about it in the other the person's face and you brag, well, you're, you're discouraging further play because that person's not gonna wanna play with you again. I mean, when you make the the loser feel bad, all they're going to remember is that you're not fun to play with. And he I think he understood that pretty, pretty well. And then we got into being a sore loser. And I said, look, when you complain or, or, you know, say stuff like "Ah, you cheated or it wasn't fair or, you know, something other than my performance was was the out would cause the outcome of why I lost. All you've basically done is make the winner's prize like a punishment, because what do they get for winning is your bad mood. And then again, nobody's going to want to play with you after that. And, and I think he seemed to understand that. And then we sort of went over like, okay, well, what? It, conversely then, well, what makes a gracious winner or loser? And I tried to give him just some simple ideas of like, all right, let's say you win and you want to make the person feel good about losing. Obviously nobody wants to lose, but there's a few things you can say. You can like compliment them on making a great game, on being a good challenge. You can praise their skill of how well they did. You could say that was so fun, I can't wait to play with you again. Who knows maybe you'll win next time. And and in that way you ingratiate yourself to them and it makes them not feel bad about losing, it gets them excited about playing with you again. And then we talked about being a gracious loser where you want the winner to feel good so that you can encourage further play. And you wanna say something like, you know, I enjoyed playing with you and you really challenged me, you made me be a better player. Which I then did a kind of little mini segue into trying to say like, look, if you go up against somebody who's much better, because clearly I am much better. And I said this right to him, I'm like, look, when we play games, I'm not gonna let you win. And I'm way better than you because I just have more experience. So when you're going up against someone who's better than you, that makes you a better player because it's challenging you to to get to the next level. And you can always compliment a person for doing that, and that will make them wanna play with you more. Because ultimately, what do we wanna do is have the fun. Nobody wants to just consider themselves a winner but never play. Right. And I, I think most of this went pretty well. And it got me to thinking about how those categories of being either a, a sore or gracious winner or loser, they're not mutually exclusive. I mean, you you find players who are very gracious winners and will not brag when they trounce you. But if they lose, ooh, they're a sore loser. They can't lose. You're not going to be necessarily both. And they both take different kinds of practice. Because when you win, you're trying not to be overly happy about your own win to make the other person feel bad. But when you lose, you're trying to make yourself kind of not feel so bad about it so that the other person will want to play with you again. And it it was interesting to see, to see how he he took it in because I, I don't know if, if it will cement itself in his mind so that when he loses the next time, it'll be just having talked about it once enough for him to be like, all right, I lost no big deal. Probably not. Probably it'll take a few more conversations to really cement it that it's about the journey, not the destination. But you you find so many grown-ups who, just purely because maybe this, this, this idea wasn't really introduced at a young age, they don't have practice at these things. And no matter how intelligent they are, or nice they are, or clever, or any of these things, when you enter into a competition, they kind of forget that they're really just cooperating to have a good time at this thing. And then it becomes very uncomfortable at the end. When you mentioned what would be a good topic, I was in the back of my mind thinking like, Gee, how could this tie into like a bigger section of our world? Yeah, I started thinking about like probably the greatest example of a sore loser that I could think of, and obviously I'm thinking of our soon-to-be last president. And I even explained that to to my son. I was like, "Look, do you want a good example of someone who's a really bad loser? Mm. Look at the guy in charge right now. Yeah, he complains. He says you cheated." He doesn't care about the other player. He'll do whatever it takes to just win. It has nothing to do with the experience. It's totally detached, and it, and it sets the worst example for so many people who look up to this person, who's supposed to be like the pinnacle of, you know, achievement to work for others. And it, it kind of blows my mind that 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 is on the stage. It's sad to me. Like, I I really wish there was, because, you know, I look at sports and I'm not a big sports fan, but I got to say it sets great examples the way these athletes teach a younger generation that it's about the game. It's not about the win or the lose. Do they all want to win? Of course, nobody wants to lose. But they set this example of like, we're creating something that not only we enjoy doing, but millions of fans enjoy doing as well. They were just like watching that fair play. Nobody likes it when at the end, somebody whines about, losing or, or brags about winning. It's, it's against our nature as a society. It doesn't make for good co- cooperation in all kinds of interactions, not just playing games, but like in the office or in a relationship or in a friendship. These tenets of how we treat other people, they carry through, in my opinion.
0: Well, first of all, I, I think I want to say something that I think every person listening is probably thinking right now which is that you are a fantastic father, Jake. You are honestly like such a role model to me as a dad. You do such a fantastic job with Logan. You put so much love and thought into making him a good person. And he is a very lucky boy for having you as a dad. Um, Thank you. That's very sweet. um, I wrote it down. So I, you know, that's, that's (laughs) uh, no, I, I, it was from the heart. Um, and it's a really tough needle to thread this concept because there are two diametrically opposed concepts at play here. One, which is the game breaks unless both players are working to defeat the other. Correct. But the game also breaks if either one of those players is taking it too seriously or or, or too emotionally or too intensely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like the the game of chess does is is not a game if one player is just trying to spell their name with the pieces while the other correct. one is trying to correct. win That's not there's neither person is, is having fun and there's there's no Absolutely game brilliantly correct
1: you're right if you're not bringing it your best game then you're not respecting your opponent
0: and there's and, and often there's no then there it literally is no game like you know i mean if correct if you're correct. not attempting to effectively counter everything the other person is doing then their the experience breaks completely entirely absolutely correct no but, we don't
1: want a group of people who are apathetic and don't care about how they play
0: right but you're also saying get emotionally invested but there's a limit you know and and there's yeah. and, and there is a uh, a safe space in this game and that when the game is over that space needs to Uh, have a a closing and a finale to it, wherein we don't then carry our uh, resentments or our negative feelings or even our extreme positive feelings in in a way that will make the other player have a a negative experience, as you said.
1: Absolutely correct. And I got to say, when I was watching the uh, accepted speech of Biden, one of the things that he had mentioned before, but that he really drove home was that, you know, while we were opponents, We're not enemies, you know, at game night, we're working our hardest to defeat the opponents in the game, but we're all friends and we're doing it because we enjoy each other and our company and that we enjoy the game itself playing with each other. When the game is over, we're not angry at each other because we're friends. Yeah. And he said that very well, as far as the national stage, he's like, all right, Republicans, Democrats, fine, but we're all just still people in this country which couldn't have been more opposite to his opponent where it's so divisive. And so, you know, you're, you're bad. If you're against me, you're bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I I think that when I was trying to tell Logan about like doing your best and how that is actually respect for the other person, you're like, they don't want you to do anything except your best because they're looking for the challenge. Same as you. And I think he got that, although it's a little abstract to say, you know, do your best to win, but be okay losing because the playing is the thing, right? Right? The the, the experience is the thing. I mean, when we watch a movie and it's over at the end and the good guy wins and the bad guy loses, like you, you still enjoyed the movie. If I just said the the ending of the movie without watching it, there'd be no point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I haven't, I I feel like I, I think a lot about my relationship with winning and losing and, and playing board games has really um, forced me to do that. I, I don't, I don't, I, I think I have a, a competitive side of me that I don't like and that I try to mm-hmm. suppress and that I don't mm-hmm. necessarily, that I, I sort of as, associate with um, negativity. Um, Yeah. And aggression,
1: I'd imagine as well. Yeah.
0: And also like, um, it's just, I, I was an only child. I didn't have a lot of people to play with. And I remember as a, as a kid having experiences playing games with people and having them and seeing, and I'm very, I'm very emotionally connected to other people's state of minds. And so I, I, I'm, I'm very sensitive to if, if somebody is not having fun, um, it affects me. And I remember playing games with people and feeling like they were unhappy because they weren't winning. Mm -hmm. And then me wanting them to win so that they'd play with me again. Right. And that that was then my that was it was much more important to me that the experience ends with that person wanting to play with me again, because I was pretty lonely as a kid. I didn't didn't have siblings
1: lonely or not. That's a totally normal reaction. Of course, the the playing is the thing.
0: Right. So and but I think that sort of drove a lot of my like I'm like even now, like when we play with people in our group. I often like I feel affected when I feel like people are getting frustrated or if the teach didn't mm-hmm. go well and people are mm-hmm. finding it a little too uh obtuse or if they're losing and they wish they were winning and and I have a tendency if 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 we have players if I'm playing with somebody and I'm really feeling that from them, I have a tendency to not want to play with them again, and we don't we don't have somebody in our group who makes me feel that way because. I have tailored our group over the last 10 years to not have that vibe. I don't want to sit down and be stressed out because I feel smoke coming out. If you win,
1: reward is their bad feelings.
0: Exactly. Or yeah, it's like, you know, I, I, to me, it's, it's so much more important that everybody is, is happy and having fun and having a positive experience. Now, that being said, I have been a salty little boy when I have lost games and I'm not proud of it. And I've had moments where like, I'm not in a good mood afterwards. And I yeah. definitely can tell that that would is probably affecting other people. There are times when I like just emotionally disconnect from a game because I'm losing and I'm just like, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I don't like it as a bad feeling. Yep. I already had yep. a bad day. I feel bad right now this wasn't, this is not how I wanted my night to go. (laughs) Like, and like, (laughs) you know, but, but I, I think these games of 10 years in this hobby now, like I've had a lot of experience feeling that feeling now. Um, And I've had some experience feeling winning and I've had some experience feeling winning and feeling other players feel bad. I've had a lot more experience losing. Um, And we have very gracious players in our group. So I don't, I very rarely, you know, I'm watching somebody boast or anything and having that negative experience. Um, But yeah, I think I've really learned to like um, really get what I want out of the experience, which is my main goal when I play is, is to, is to become a better player in general at the hobby and in all games, but really to keep the experience going, to play again.
1: That's right. To enjoy the experience with friends. Yeah. For me, I, that makes so much sense. I mean, I, I think he said that really well. For me, when I was growing up, my dad was the fierce competitor. And my mom didn't want to play any game because she would say, if I win, I'll feel so bad when they lose. Like, I'm too Man. sensitive.
0: Mm-hmm. And that really
1: bounce; those two, uh, uh, you know, opposite forces really bounce in my mind. And I hate to lose; I hate it. But also, I don't like the feeling when somebody else feels bad when they—if I win—and I found a way. I mean, honestly, in this game group, I think it's pretty common knowledge that I'm not a huge winner when it comes to these games. I, I often. Lose or take last, or however you want to call it, but I found that it really doesn't bother me because of how much fun I have playing. I learn so much about a new game, and I agree that our group has a huge amount of gracious winners, and some who aren't the best losers. Let's say, but even then, no terrible sore losers because it wouldn't be fun. But that even even many losses in a row, it doesn't really bother me. Because I just enjoy the experience so much, and I know it's all for fun. You know what I mean? There's nothing really on the line other than enjoying it. And as long as I know I've done my best, then, then that's enough for me. And I think our gaming group has really allowed me to hone that.
0: Yeah. And at and, and the same time, it's okay to feel bad when you lose. Like it's it's okay. Like it's not, it's not an emotion to be completely repressed. Like you were striving for something and you did not achieve the goal that you wanted for yourself. Um, what's, what's not okay though, you know, is, is to blame other people for your loss, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, But it's okay to be upset. You know, we've even had people in our group, and I think I've done this before, where at, you know, next week's game night, you show up and you like pull someone aside and you're like, hey, I don't know if this was happening for you at all. But afterwards, I felt bad that I I was pretty bummed about the loss. And I I sure hope that it didn't make you feel bad, Mm -hmm. you know, or like Mm -hmm. I was uh, not totally proud of my behavior by the end of that game. uh, You know, I just want you to know that I. I was introspective about it for the week and it was weighing on me. You know, I, I think yeah. those are important um, follow-ups, If you know, to, to to help create a really safe space for people to even have negative experiences like that. Absolutely. Being able
1: to even say that says so much about you. I mean, there's some people who couldn't get it up to say something like, hey, I was thinking about how I was feeling. I mean, that's yeah. a whole other category. But yeah. um, I 100% agree. I, I wouldn't want anyone's takeaway from this to be like, eh, totally chill to lose. That's not yeah. what I mean. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you, you, you need to do your best and try to win every time to honor the experience and also yourself and, and your opponents, because then when you win, you know, you've earned it. And when you lose, you know, you couldn't have done any more than you could. Right? I mean, you've, do, you've done your best and no one can ask more of that. You win some, you lose some and being cool with the outcome and appreciating that it's the experience itself has to trump excuse the expression you know the the outcome it just has to otherwise you're not going to enjoy playing games in your life
0: yeah and board games have been a fantastic way to get practice losing you know i think i think everyone should have practice losing and you know board games are not real life um they are but there is very little difference in terms of your emotional experience in a simulation or in the real thing. And I think Borgia. I go so far are, as to
1: say there's zero
0: difference. they are often. Except for the meta it,
1: understanding. I think, one Paul, is I think Paul
0: would say there's zero. I think that's one. one I, I agree with Paul. Before. Yeah. Um, I think he goes through the way, same experience. Yeah.
1: yeah, it couldn't be more important to to do this when you're a child. I mean, that's the reason kids play games. Yeah. One of the reasons is so that they can experience loss. I remember it wasn't so long ago. Um, my nephew, I think he was doing T-ball, which is kind of like baseball but without losing essentially if i understand it right well and without, without uh, missing swings as much so. yeah yeah and 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 i and i was watching this whole thing and i it really like struck me hard i had to think about it for like a whole week where I was, it was it, it just felt like they're not that's that's not good you can't <laughs> you can't teach the idea that just we're all winners that it's okay that we're always it's all equal we're all winners there's no lesson there that's not preparing a person to go out into the reality of
0: you're not always going to win yeah. no matter how hard you try your best. So that, that's important. Don't say participation trophy. Um, oh my God. Then we are a conservative uh, podcast if you say that. Um, yeah, exactly. But yeah, uh, get experience losing. Um, our for our soon to be former president um, should have had, uh, has had quite a bit experience losing and you would think he would have had learned yeah. how to do it by now because he is, um, the biggest loser uh, in the history of biggest man. loser. Um, shall good. we move on to a couple board game smaliers for recall night? That was fantastic, by the way, Jake. I, I really loved everything you said there, and that was was really uh, fast. Thank you so much. I love being able to
1: chat with you about stuff that means something to me. It's so wonderful.
0: Let's get on to the game. Yes, let's call. move
1: on to the smaliers. Sometimes the player
0: just got to know which game should stay, which game should go,
1: which to play with, maman, my madame, my my abou. You got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression but I can't get far with my fiftieth play of a grigola.
0: A million games. Show me the way to the master, the game sommelier. (laughs) First question is from Oscar Johansson. I think I've seen you on our Facebook group, Oscar, maybe uh, unless I'm wrong, but I think so. Uh, I have soon plowed through all of your episodes. You have been the best of companions throughout my last two months. It will feel really empty to wait a week in between episodes from now on. Do you have any recommendations of other podcasts about board games Uh, that feels like a good comrade walking along you in life other than heavy cardboard and Rado's occasional pods. I have not explored much. I love nothing more than louding the wonderful works of much better podcasts than ours. Let me (laughs) list some for you now. No pun included has a fantastic podcast. Subscribe, join their Patreon, support them. You get more podcast episodes, and I think you get them sooner. They're fantastic. If you like solo games, there's a podcast called uh, Solo Saurus, Uh solo S A U R U S like a dinosaur. Fantastic solo focused podcast on board games. Um, I'll give you four 18xx podcasts. Yes, there are at least four 18xx podcasts that I listen to regularly. Wow. The train rush, train shuffling, derailed, wheel tapping check them all out a fantastic podcast called five games for doomsday a lovely podcast uh, in which uh, a gentleman interviews other people in the podcast in the board gaming world this is the the mark Marin of board game podcasts if you will <laughs> the mary and tom show uh that is the podcast from uh the owners of Spiel, a fantastic publishing company blue peg pink peg ludology so very wrong about games i've just given you a whole lot of board game podcasts that i think yeah, that's a lot too um i hope you enjoy that um Oh wait, something weird happened okay. here because the next one also says it's from Oscar Johansson. Is that? Is there, did I get two I emails from the same person, or did I cut and paste incorrectly on uh, one of my <laughs> emails? I'm going to check. Hold on one second, because that's funny. If I did that? Um, I don't think I did that, but I might have. You know, while that. you do I might... that, I
1: just got to say whoever that French guy is that sings that song, whoa, he is good.
0: Yes, he's fantastic. And I mean, uh, talk about a Wonderful rapper. So amazing. What a wonderful oh rapper he is as well. Oh um, my gosh. All right. I guess I have to look this up. Yeah. I, I may have attributed either Oscar wrote us two emails this week or I just cut and pasted the same name incorrectly onto two podcasts. Either way, I know the next one's from Oscar because he signed it uh, Oscar at the end. Um, anyway, the first one wasn't Oscar. Sorry. Okay. And if this is Oscar, you get two emails read this week. Congratulations. Hello. Hey. Thanks for the best of podcasts. I, I can't be the same person. because I, I, <laughs> I have a question for the game. Sommelier. I play mostly mid to heavy euros that require a lot of thinking. And even though I love a brain burner, it tends to slow down the pace of the game quite considerably. Sometimes I'm not up for that slow kind of experience, but want a more speedy and free-flowing feeling of gameplay. A sense of that the game almost plays itself but still is full of interesting and meaningful decisions the feeling differs from real-time games with high time pressure in that it is not stressful either games where i often have this feeling in descending order is Roll for the galaxy dominion seven wonders and orleans simultaneous action selection high degree of multiplayer solitaire and limited amounts of actions to choose from each round are features i think contribute to this feeling does the game smallie gay have any suggestions for games that can create this feeling and some ideas for, games feature, uh, for game features that contribute to creating it. Interesting. Um, well, Oscar, I believe uh, what you're talking about is games with snappy turns, as we call them. Um, I love a game where the turns are snappy. You're moving around the table fast. It's, I love that feeling when it's your turn and you actually wanted more time. Before it was your turn, because you needed to make some more choices. Um, so I put together a list of some um, um, recent games that I have played that I felt had very snappy turns. I will say a game th- that's not even really out yet, like I mentioned earlier, Praga Caput Regni. Look, I've only played it solo, but I've played it a lot, and I, I kind of uh, these are some snappy turns. There's these are turns. there's are sort of micro turns. You're doing one little thing, and it often can happen really quickly. Um, also another new game beyond the sun had some pretty fast turns i mean any any game with a snappy turn to me is um you know you place your worker you do your action and there's not a lot of steps to it it's sort of put it here take a thing but um you know these are sort of i I believe jennifer has called the micro turns before um you know you're, you're doing a little thing each turn but after a whole lot of those turns they start adding up and and creating bigger things um undaunted normandy or undaunted north africa is really snappy turns i mean you're literally just playing one card and moving a chit um the turns fly by raiders of scythia also shockingly fast place a worker pick up a worker the actions you're doing on them uh, are really quick glenmore two super fast just drop a tile move your thing um really fast snappy turns everdell also everdell you know any game that's going to have worker action spaces that are very simple as in place a worker grab some resources or convert some resources the turns are going to be fast those are games where it's your turn again before you even remember um and uh i would even say anno 1800 is a game with some pretty fast turns now it can get a little less snappy as the game rolls on and we've got a lot of gold and you're pulling back workers, et cetera, things like that. But for the most part, these, these felt to me like micro turns. They're like, I just pick up a thing. I drop a thing here. Um, A player with AP can uh, thwart your plans of any of these games feeling snappy, of course. But a lot of these games that I just mentioned, I think um, while not AP proof are less AP prone Um, than your average game because the decision space is um, streamlined often. Um, In terms of games that have simultaneous actions, um, there aren't many that we play, but there are a lot of games that have following actions. And I often find that a game feels snappy or fast wherein I'm doing things when it's not even my turn. So a game we reviewed recently, Fort um i'm often following actions in that game um of course uh, roll, uh what is it um race for the galaxy like you said or roll for the galaxy does that as well um glory to rome any any game where i'm getting to do actions on somebody else's turn i can often just keep that flow going and make it feel really fast and 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 yeah not as stressful as well because anytime that you know i'm doing constant actions i'm i'm not brain-burnering and telling everybody, you know, I need a minute, guys. I need a minute. So um, I think a lot of the games I mentioned are not games where you're going to be hearing players often going, okay, everybody, I need a minute. Sorry, sorry. I got to call time here. Give me a few minutes to figure out my plan. Um, so hopefully that helps you out there. Jake, any any thoughts on any of those for you? I didn't ask you about the board game podcast because uh, I, I imagine yeah, like no. you, you barely listened. To I was going
1: to say, you know, it's a really got a really snappy turn. Sorry.
0: Okay. Super snappy. Snappy as all get out. So snappy, you don't even need to take them. Nope. Well, Jake, or under two hours—that's always a feather in my cap if we can do that. Yep. Um, This was fantastic, man. Thanks for having me on again. I I always
1: love it when it's my turn. I mean, I love listening to our friends, but I I love it when it's my turn.
0: Dude, this was a great app, and I'm so glad we got to play. We got to actually (laughs) review a game. I think this is the first game in the pandemic that I've reviewed, which I played mostly in person. That's amazing. It was a wildly good time. Yeah. And hopefully next we, time we can make that happen. Hopefully next time we don't have to get tested and isolate for a week and do all these steps mm-hmm. just to have 24 hours together. Um, well, we'll see. But we'll see. Um, thank you so much, everybody. Um, yeah, you have. Yep. Yeah, uh, hold on, I gotta pull up my. Oh man, I forgot my little last thingy here. Um, all right, hold on. Oh, geez, I'm gonna try to wing it. Should I try to wing it? I don't just think I wing, wing it. it. You're a
1: pro. I, I'm not a pro. <laughs> uh,
0: nope, I found it. I don't have to wing it. Alrighty. You've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You might know him as Alfred on the show. Congratulations, Alfred, on the birth of your baby boy.
1: More on Daedalus at
0: GreenBainPod.com. You can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening and go play some games with friends online or virtually make some friends with games. Bye, everybody.
1: Bye.